0: Hi, welcome to another episode of Entrepreneur Mind Speak. I'm Lauren with Creme de Mint, a branding and packaging design agency. And today, our co host Natalie is on vacation, so she won't be joining us. But we have an amazing um, formulator with us today, Chad Bray. Uh, he is owner and formulations chemist at The Vitamin Chemist. With a, bio, with a biochemistry degree from California State, Chad's career has spanned prestigious roles at Amgen, Baxter, and Nusil Technology. After running two vitamin stores in Los Angeles and his two decades of experience as a chemist, he moved into technology consulting for nutritional supplement companies and has now formulated hundreds of dietary supplements. Thank you, Chad, for being here today. We are so excited to have you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I would love to hear a little bit more about you and what is the formulation process? Like, can you describe that for me?
1: So the formulation process is uh, a huge, uh, would be a huge explanation because there's tons of stuff involved. But if I were to take a, a, a very long zoom back eagle's eye view of the entire process, you can almost... Kind of break it down into three phases. The phase one would be the uh, ideation phase, which is basically you're taking your the idea you have in your head for a new product and and putting it down on paper in a formula. Phase two would be the R and D phase, research and development, where you're basically taking your idea that's on paper and creating an actual product in a sample form to see if it actually works. And then phase three would be uh, manufacturing, which is taking the the R&D sample that you've made, and just basically scaling it up to, you know, a thousand samples, 10,000 samples, 100,000 samples. So lots involved, but the entire process, um, like I said, zooming back as far as you can, kind of looks like those three basic steps.
0: Great. And so as an entrepreneur with an idea for a new product, like, What are the steps I could expect when working with a formulator? And when an entrepreneur approaches you with an idea, what do you need from them to get started?
1: Basically to be as clear and detailed as possible, because a client will come to me with an idea and that idea is kind of locked away in their head. So if someone comes to me and says, Oh, I want to create a, a weight loss, um, you know, um, nootropic uh, blood pressure lowering supplement, they have a certain idea in their head that they've kind of you know, you know noodled around for a while and I have no idea what that is. So if they were to come to me and say i want I want my product to do this and I'd like to have this, this, and this in it I don 't want any of these things. I want it to taste like this as much detail as possible that's uh, probably one of the most important things that I would need to get the idea out of their head on the paper and then create an actual product out of it.
0: What would you say is the most common misconception about your job that you would like people to understand before they approach you?
1: There's uh, misconceptions, but not as, it's not very common. So I'm first and foremost a, um, a formulations chemist. So I do formulations. So I take your idea and make it into, you know, the appropriate dosages the ingredients that should be in there and and form factors and uh, create a theoretical product Um, because i've been in the business for so long i can help them you know kind of uh, hold their hand each step of the way from you know through all three of those phases but a misconception is um i'm not everything i don't know everything about this industry i don't you know as far as um legal aspects goes I can only get just so far as far as, uh, you know, um, regulations and compliance guidelines. I would always refer them to um, an FDA attorney. Um, and also, I'm not the expert in sales and marketing in this industry. So a lot of people will say, okay, how do I market my product, and I tell them I would probably have to refer you to someone else. But all the other aspects I help them with. So, That would probably be one of the main misconceptions, but it's not very common. I don't get that a whole lot.
0: I can totally relate on the FDA attorney piece because I also, like I know enough to be dangerous, but I don't know all the little details. Um, A lot of times I'll work with clients and they will, you know, they'll show it to an attorney. They'll send it back to me and say, oh, these last little tweaks need to be made. So I've learned enough over the years what it I what I have seen it should be but again you and I are not attorneys so we don't know all the little tiny pieces that um, that the attorneys may know
1: right so sometimes when my clients do have those questions or issues I immediately refer them to my FDA attorney that I work with and that they usually take care of that so I know I know enough to not step into that realm um, if because that can be dangerous you can make some
0: big Completely agree. So what is important to you when you're looking for suppliers for raw materials?
1: Okay. So when you say suppliers for raw materials, do you mean the actual ingredients uh, ingredient sourcing those or do you mean manufacturer?
0: I would say like the ingredient sourcing.
1: It's primarily the responsibility of the manufacturer to source the ingredients. Once the formulation report, as I call them, uh, gets transferred to the manufacturer, and they look at it, and they know exactly what they're going to be doing to make that that large batch. However, there might sometimes the manufacturers they they say, okay, well, out of these 12 ingredients, we can source 10 of them, but these two over here might be a problem because either a we just can't get it, or b um, it's in Uganda and it's going to take six weeks to get here. So in those cases, I do have a couple of raw material suppliers that I work with, but I just make a phone call and say, hey, can you send me X kilograms of this ingredient? And I just ship it to the facility to the manufacturer.
0: Where do you source the ingredients to create the samples that you create before they go to the manufacturer?
1: I do provide that service, but I don't always prepare the R&D samples for clients. So at my place, I do um, liquid and powder samples. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do capsules, tablets, gummies, uh, or other uh, kind of crazy form factors. But if, if and when I do uh, prepare R&D samples for the client, um, I typically just get them online at different sites or one of my raw material suppliers if they can sell them in small amounts. So I think, kind of going back to your original question about sourcing raw materials, there's kind of a misconception um, or a kind of a a negative connotation about getting your ingredients from China. The fact is that maybe about 80 plus percent of all the raw material ingredients that are actually in the U.S. that are used to manufacture supplements ultimately originate from China. So that's not a, a bad or a good thing, but that's just where the majority comes from. Now, just like any country, there are bad and good manufacturing facilities for raw materials. Same thing with China. The raw material suppliers that I work with know to get their stuff from the good facilities in China. Um, but originally, that's where they're that's where they're sourced from. They get here in the States, and they're kind of warehoused in different parts of the United States. And then when we source them, that's where they come from. But that's not where they originated from. So always make sure you have. A C of A certificate of analysis when you get any raw materials from a vendor. Um, and I like to use ones that I've worked with in the past and they're trustworthy and I, I know. So I know I'm not getting some wacky expired product or something for For
0: myself, I'm curious like, if they, set, like, how do you know which ones are trustworthy? And how do you, like, is it possible to take that? analysis or take like the part of your product and send it to a third party to make sure that there aren't any things in it. Um, What are your thoughts around that?
1: So a lot of times people just kind of trust the C of A that they get. But if you're extra paranoid, I guess you could take that and have it analyzed at a a neutral third party. Typically it's not done because time is money and money is money and it costs money to do that. So people just kind of go off of faith that the C of A is accurate and, and true
0: yeah I guess you just have to hope hope that it is
1: And <laughs> kind of like you you know you go to a restaurant and the food comes out so you, you just just eat it you don't go back there and watch them make the food you just kind of trust they're doing their job I guess
0: right but I guess like with restaurants they do have inspection, like inspectors come in and inspect the facility and say, like, this is an A grade or whatever, right? Is there Mm -hmm. something like that also um, for these uh, raw material manufacturers?
1: There is, um, but more, well, not more importantly, just as important, they have that with actual manufacturing facilities. There are certifications that must be in place at a manufacturing facility, for what i would suggest anyone having their stuff made at, but especially me i have pretty high standards on what manufacturers that i would send my clients to uh to be able to trust that you're getting a a good quality clean product that actually has in the product what it says on the label
0: so tell me um how do you preserve your supplement products do you Do you do that piece or is that something that the manufacturer does like to ensure the safety and stability of the product?
1: Yeah, that's the sole responsibility of the manufacturer. I said I'll formulate the idea Uh and I'll do the R&D samples, which sometimes may or may not require preservatives. um, But in the formulation report that I put together, I'll put suggested preservatives according to what the client wants the client wants preservatives or no preservatives or they have to have preservatives, they have to have natural or they're okay with synthetic, then I'll put that in the report. Um, The type of preservatives out there, it just depends. If you're doing, it depends on the form factor. If you're doing a liquid in a glass bottle, let's say, for instance, an RTD, then the manufacturer would be the ones responsible to communicate with the client, but find Determine how they're going to prevent that material from growing mold or bacteria uh, or discoloring. Um, Like for example, they'll you're doing liquid in a in a glass bottle or something equivalent, they'll do a hot fill to make sure there's no bacteria or live bacteria present. They can do um, natural or synthetic preservatives, um, synthetic being either potassium sorbate or you know sodium benzoate. Or the natural route sometimes I've suggested uh, grapefruit seed extract in certain amounts the natural preservative um, you can lower the pH of the resulting products uh, through citric acid or other other mildly weak or strong acids uh, keep the pH between 3 and 3.5 or so during bacterial growth so a number of things you can do I just make the suggestions but the manufacturer is responsible for for Having those preservatives in there and determining a uh, shelf life or expiration.
0: Have you done any like performance testing or anything so that people can make specific claims?
1: Yes, but not to make claims. So I've done enhanced uh, stability testing studies, but that's solely for the information of the client. You can't make any claims off of it. It's not a. Uh, uh, it's not an official, you know, certified. Validated uh, test method. That's the responsibility of the manufacturer.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you see is like the most common pitfall when people come to you to develop their product?
1: Usually happens in the the R and D phase. So the ideation phase, um, you know, putting your idea on paper. That's kind of the easy part, and then that's just kind of talking back and forth with the client, uh, having a theoretical on paper formula. Mm -hmm. And once the R&D phase is finished and you have the sample, the client says, okay, this is it. This is exactly what I want. Getting that scaled up to manufacturing, usually there's not a whole lot of complications. There might be some roadblocks um, and some troubleshootings involved, but not too much. Usually all that happens in the R&D phase. So you have what is possible and expected theoretically on paper, doesn't automatically mean it's going to translate to real life and you find that out during the sample prep so an example would be let's say a client wants a detox formula and they want that in liquid form and i want it to taste like um raspberry lemonade and i want you know x y and z ingredients in there so we say okay well this should work according to these dosages um you know i'll go ahead and do the R D. d i'll write up a design of experiment uh, theoretically, if we add this, this, and this, at this mixed speed, at this temperature, it should work. You should have a delicious tasting product. So you do that, and five of the six ingredients mix just nicely in the blend. It tastes wonderful, but that one ingredient is a real stinker, and it doesn't want to dissolve. Or it makes the your liquid taste bad, or it discolors over time or whatever. So now you got to go back and figure out why. And sometimes you can do 15 different trial runs, and it still won't cooperate. So now the R&D phase is taking longer than it should. Clients get a little irritated and impatient. Oh, why isn't this working? It's, on paper it works, but it doesn't work in real life. So you have to either figure out an alternative, go back and edit the formula, or just you know keep uh, you know, just grit your teeth in and keep on going until you. Make it work. So the R&D phase is usually the one that takes the longest, and sometimes it's, it causes the most problems. But you have to get over that. You, you have to do the R&D. You can't just go straight to manufacturing. Because if you, if you have your idea on paper and went straight to manufacturing, guess what's going to happen in manufacturing? You're going to have a problem, and now you've wasted 70 kilograms of raw material, and no one's happy. It's a lot of time, and a lot of money.
0: And what has like been the longest amount of time that the R&D phase has taken in a project?
1: What I did is probably almost a year.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. And how, yeah. how long do they typically take for most clients? A few weeks. Okay.
1: On the on the complexity of the product. But yeah, I've done one personally where it was a nightmare. It was wow. yeah, like a, one ingredient that just would not cooperate. So we ultimately had to go back and edit the formula. We didn't want to, but we had no choice.
0: All in all, like you mentioned that there were, I think you said three different phases Mm -hmm. for your process. Um, How long does it take from the moment that a client comes to you from start to finish working with you? How long does it take for them? If they come in with an idea and they're like, okay, this is the idea I have. And then you start working through the different phases and how long does it take till you're at the end of the R and D phase and they're ready to go to a manufacturer?
1: Um, again, depends on the product. Depends on the complexity of the product. If someone comes to me with a, uh, um, I want to do a weight loss, you know, product uh, for women. It's in capsule form, which is the easiest. Right? Um, I can usually get the formulation report finished in about a week or so. Um, get that. Over to a manufacturer that the client has already vetted, or I'll help them vet one or introduce into one. The manufacturer looks at that and says, um, "Yeah, we can do this. We can do this here at our place." They still, even though it's in capsule form, they still have to do at least maybe one round of uh, benchtop sampling. That's the R and D phase to see if the stuff can actually fit the capsule, if it's too little or too much. And then to begin uh, to give the client a quote, a batch quote. And to actually officially put them on a schedule for manufacturing, that can be as quick as a month, month and a half. Or if it's something like a gummy or some sort of tricky kind of liquid goo or a tincture, that could take as long, maybe six months.
0: Once they finish out the phases with you, whether or not it's the R&D phase with you or with the manufacturer, um, you do help them through the process to make sure that everything scales up properly.
1: In this industry, there's basically two types of manufacturers. There's the big guys and the little guys. Uh, the big guys are kind of a like a one-stop shop. They, they're they experts in what they do. They You give them the formulation report, they say, okay, we can or can't make this. If we can make it, um, we do everything. We have a giant R&D department with a bunch of technicians that know what they're doing. They can get it done. Get these samples quick. Um, send them to you. They're perfect. They scale up the product. They do the labels for you. They have a compliance department for the you know for the, the labels. Um, they have label makers there. Um, scale it up, package it, stick it on a pallet, ready to go. Um, that's wonderful. And I typically don't get too involved in that because they've done this for years and they they know what they're doing and they're very good at what they do. Um, the catch is they're very expensive. They have high MOQs, uh, minimum order quantities, and you get very large uh, POs. <laughs> or the other guys are the smaller guys, almost uh, co-packers slash manufacturing facilities. They're, they have the lower MOQs. Um, typically, the batch quotes are a little cheaper or a lot cheaper, but they don't have quite as beefy of a R&D department as the big guys. So a lot of times I get involved with... Uh, their R&D department doing that phase, they're a lot quicker in their lead times usually. Um, I've seen, like if you're doing caps or powder, or whatever, I've seen um, lead times from start to finish um, and packaged and where you want shipped. Um I've seen that six weeks, uh, maybe even less. The big guys, uh, a lot of times it might be 10 to 15 weeks from when the R&D samples are finished to you have finished your your batch and it's ready to ship. So, and there's there's those two kind of scenarios. Both do R and D, but most of the time I'm I'm working with the technicians on the with the smaller facilities. So, the ideation phase, the R and D phase, I'm really involved. Once it goes to manufacturing with the big guys, I'm almost hands free because like they just kind of take it from there. With the smaller manufacturers, if there's some troubleshooting involved, then I I get involved. So regardless, I'm with the client each step of the way until the the final product is finished and stuck on a pallet and ready to ship to a customer.
0: Earlier, we were talking a little bit about um, identifying um, good manufacturing practices and like manufacturers. How would someone go about doing that? Are there certain things they should look for?
1: The very first thing you should look for non-negotiable is um are they cgmp certified so current good manufacturing processes um it's kind of the equivalent to an fda approved facility um goes in and checks out the facility um do you have you know quality control you have inventory control do you have the you know correct documentation is your place clean there's a whole checklist they go through if you don't have that certification or equivalent i would not work with that manufacturer and then above and beyond that there's you know nsf certification halal you know certified organic uh, kosher a bunch of different uh, certifications you can have i've been in this business for a long time and i've talked to a lot of manufacturers the industry is not the same as it was 20 years ago um there's tons of manufacturing facilities now and uh for reasons that i probably wouldn't get into i wouldn't work with them. Um, I've dropped a few of them and I've now just stuck with maybe a handful of manufacturers that I would send my clients to to get their stuff made. Um, but those certifications would be the first thing I would look for. Otherwise, it's, it could be just some guy in his warehouse or garage making stuff. And you don't know what sort of quality control there is over that. Regarding quality control, there always has to be that. So when, when a, a manufacturer makes a batch and puts a little red sticker on it or a yellow sticker. Uh, in order for that batch product to be released, it has to pass uh, CA or quality assurance testing. And the minimum for that is uh, microbiome and heavy metal. You know, it can't have a, it can't exceed a certain, you know, colony count for bacteria. It can't have, it can't exceed a certain amount of, uh, you know, mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic. Above and beyond that. There is typically um, a a quant and qual uh, third party assay on those, uh, basically saying, okay, you got a list of 12 ingredients in here. We're going to take one of those ingredients. We're going to see that it's actually in there. And then how much that it has to have a certain standard deviation. If you're claiming 13 milligrams, whatever it has to be, you know, plus or minus 10% or something. That's minimum. Depending on who your customer is, if it's just a uh, direct-to-customer just selling off the website, then you'd want to have that bare minimum um, batch testing and have that on your A. If you're selling your product to Walgreens or CVS or something, a whole different um, set of standards on what those uh, QA testing parameters are. So a manufacturer that does in-house testing It's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but you know it's kind of unbiased when they have it third-party tested. Manufacturers don't really like to do that because it takes time and it costs money, but I would definitely look for that with a good manufacturer, someone who takes samples of their batches and has it sent out to have it third-party tested for quality.
0: So some manufacturers will... We'll talk about that on their website, saying like, "Oh, we have third-party batch testing." Is that what they would look for?
1: You would have to call the sales rep who you'd be working with and ask them those questions.
0: Is there anything else that people should look for when they're choosing to work with a manufacturer?
1: Yeah, communication, <laughs> because you can have the greatest manufacturing facility um, with the most with the greatest reputation, but. If their sales reps that you're working with just don't reply to emails or phone calls, then what's the point? You know, go somewhere else. And I've seen a lot of those. Um, you know, you you have a kind of important question that's time sensitive. You make a phone call, leave a voicemail, or send an email. You don't hear it back for three weeks. That's not good business. So communication is huge.
0: I would agree with that. Um when my mom and I we had a a product business a few years back for makeup and it was so tough like some manufacturers were just not very responsive and you're like I need to get this. I need to get this to my potential customers and if I don't have a good relationship with my manufacturer then, you know, I end up losing out on, you know, my customers because they aren't happy because they haven't received their product and yeah, it could get really really tricky.
1: Call four or five, six different manufacturers and get not only price quotes and lead times, but get a feel of who you're working with too. If, um, if something doesn't seem right, or there's you know, red flags going off, um, run while you still can. You don't wanna have to do something like that halfway during, you know, through a batch run, or you've already given your deposit to them for a batch quote.
0: A couple more thoughts that came up when you were talking about that. One is, um, do you provide the formula to your clients so that they can go to different manufacturers?
1: A lot of times, when a client has an idea for a product, they'll go online and they'll look for a, a manufacturer. They'll call the manufacturer, and say, "Here's my idea. I'm, I've got this, you know, uh, circulation blend, you know, idea. Can you guys? Here's a couple ingredients that I'm thinking. Can you guys make this for me?" They'll say. Oh, yeah yeah sure we can make it for you they'll formulate it and they'll do the r d and everything they'll quote you for it but now guess who owns the formula not you um they formulated it they have they can lay claim to that so a lot of clients are going to independent formulators and paying them to formulate it for them now they have it on paper it's theirs now they can take that formula to any manufacturer in the u.s or wherever wherever else and then the preliminary formulation report that I make for the client um, basically tells a manufacturer every single detail possible that uh, tells them exactly what they want like what they want that product to do um, and kind of how to make it and then um, they give to the manufacturer they say okay according to this yeah we can make this here's how much it's going to cost for you know 1500 units and they can't touch that formula it's now the clients uh, ownership, they own that formula.
0: And what would be the importance of owning your own formula? Uh, why why is that important? I mean, if you have, if you choose a manufacturer and you're like, okay, I want to use this manufacturer, I like them, um, and they're going to formulate it, then what, what would be the importance of having that formula?
1: Well, what happens if halfway during the R&D process, um, either Get in a huge argument, there's a dispute, and you say, forget it, I'm gonna take my business elsewhere. I say, okay, you can go leave, but we're keeping the formula. We formulated it. So now you gotta start from scratch and make a whole new uh, formula. Whereas if that's yours, you say, okay, I don't like what you guys are saying, or they, I don't know, if the manufacturer files for bankruptcy or whatever, halfway through it okay, I'm taking my formula and I'm I'm going to go over to manufacturer B over
0: here. Remember I talked to a manufacturer once and I asked him like, well, if someone wanted to leave with their formula, like what would that cost? And it was like uh, upwards of like 25,000 or so, like 15 to 25,000 to take your, to get your formula from the manufacturer. And I thought, wow, that's that's quite expensive. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, you got to read the fine print when you sign the NDA with them. Uh, yeah. Just make sure you know what you're uh, stepping into when you sign something or agree to have them make the formula for you.
0: Yeah. And I thought the other thing I thought was interesting was, you know, I'd also heard like, well, they can just reverse formulate it. like Any good chemist can reverse formulate it. But what would be um, the challenges about reverse formulating your product?
1: because you don't have exact dosage the formulator has to kind of reinvent the wheel not knowing exactly how much was in there or, or how they mixed it at what temperatures and uh, other fillers they use or whatever so it's just a longer process so you can reverse engineer things but um, it, it's, it takes a long time because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of holes there's a lot of uh, variables that you don't know
0: If they brought their own formulation to a manufacturer, wouldn't there still be some variables like what you're talking about, like how much you heat it up to and all that kind of stuff like that? Won't that be kind of figured out in the R&D phase? And will that still become part of their original formula? How does that typically work?
1: When they do their own, like I said, DOA design of experiments and they do all the R&D, then from what I understand, then yeah, they have. They have rights to that, um, that recipe, if you want to call it. Um, when a when a client goes straight to a manufacturer and have them formulate it and do the R&D, then typically the manufacturer has ownership of at least some part of it, not necessarily maybe not all of it. Um, and that's like I said, that's in the fine print, and a lot of different manufacturers have different terms on that. Um, a previous client of mine, that's what happened to them. And they, the way they had ownership of it is they said, okay, well, I guess you can take this with you if you want to go to another manufacturer. But whenever you scale up that product, either with us or anywhere else, uh, we want uh, you know, 5% royalty per unit or something. And that was in the, the fine print in the NDA <laughs> or their so Different manufacturers have different contracts. Got to read all the words, every section.
0: Wow, that is really good to know. Very, very important.
1: That's why uh, so many clients are now reaching out to independent formulators to make their formula. They can take it anywhere they want, and then uh, the manufacturers, they they can't touch it. Something happens, it's your little insurance policy. Okay, nice knowing you, but I'm going to go over here now.
0: All those like temperature and all that kind of stuff like that, they are still going to have that piece, right? You won't be able to take that, right?
1: You won't know what that piece is. They usually don't show that to the client. They usually don't show how they did the R&D. They just kind of do it themselves. So if you go somewhere else, another manufacturer is going to have their own way of doing the R&D samples. So the two are totally separate.
0: Okay, so if you were to move over to that other manufacturer with your formula, there would still have to be some R&D at that new place.
1: Always. Yeah, always. Unless, Unless... some of the manufacturers that I've sent my clients to, um, I know them pretty well, and the clients um, sometimes have me do the R&D samples because the R&D fees with these manufacturers can be pretty big, and um, I do for cheaper at my place. So I'll, I'll write the design of experiment, you know, the recipe, and I'll prepare the sample, and some of these manufacturers are okay with taking outside R&D you know, instructions and just using that to just go straight to scale up.
0: Sounds like the best option for new business owners.
1: A lot of times it is because a lot of clients that come they're on a tight budget, so they don't okay. want to have to spend unnecessarily, you know, money. Um, when I when they go straight to another manufacturer and they scale it up, um, sometimes they'll do one like real quick benchtop sample just to make sure it we're apples and oranges, but they're okay with taking, you know, an outside DOE and R and D sample that's been done already.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's really great to know. Are there any other things that we haven't covered that would be helpful for new entrepreneurs?
1: As far as creating supplements, um, one thing that comes to mind is form factor. So there's challenges in all types. Sometimes a client comes to me and says, I've got this great idea for a you know brain booster. And I say, OK, uh, how's that going to come? What are you thinking? You want tablets, capsules, powders, liquid? Um, I haven't really thought of that, but um, I was thinking maybe capsules or, you know, I know liquid's good, uh, gummies are popular. What do you think? Um, there's a lot to consider with that. As a general thought, um, capsules and powders are usually the, the easiest and the cheapest to make a product in. Uh, very little R&D involved, and um, the lead times are usually the quickest. Uh, uh, fewer problems occur. When you start going to uh, well, capsules and tablets are the simplest. Powders are a little more complicated because now you have to take um, uh, sweetness and flavor profile into account, and a mouthfeel. Um, will the stuff mix well? So that R&D usually takes a little longer. Um, tinctures and liquids, um, those are a little bit more complicated because now you have to worry about preservatives and also you know uh, mixability and uh, flavor and taste um gummies are usually the hardest uh, everybody wants gummies now but there's so many things that can pose uh challenges to that sometimes a client will come to me and say i want i have a gummy idea and this is going to be for weight loss and i want you know 6,000 milligrams of all these active ingredients in one gummy and it has to taste good it has to be vegan and sugar-free Um, that's impossible. So they say, okay, well, let's come as close as you can to that. Um, There's so many things that go into formulating a gummy and making it effective. That's, that would be a half an hour discussion right there. But to sum all that up, I would say one of the biggest things is kind of have a, have a firm idea of what form factor you want that supplement to be in and be aware of uh, the potential challenges that come with each one when you're a, a, a brand new client coming to me, say, I wanna make a top quality, really, really, really good quality product. Then I make sure I formulate the Optimus Prime of you know formulas to make this stuff effective. And then part B, link them up with a really good reputable manufacturer that I know. I know the owners, I've toured their facilities and I know they can create a you know, good quality product and uh, get lots of QA testing. It takes longer and it's more expensive, but in in the end, you know, you have a really solid product.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Um, Well, that wraps up our episode of Entrepreneur Mind Speak. And thank you so much, Chad, for being here today. Um, You are a wealth of information and we're so happy you joined.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was fun. (laughs)